What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. Well, HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says things just haven't been the same since that flying saucer came. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to do yet another listener request episode from the old inbox. Awesome. So uh, who requested what? Well, this is an episode that's based on an email that came in from our listener, Brett. All right. And what does the email ask us to do? Well, should I read it or should one of you? I'll, I'll, I'll read it. I like right. reading things. All right. Here we go. Okay. So Brett says, I've watched my share of alien invasion movies. Far too many of them have an absurd America mentality and don't seem to realize that Martians will not be stopped by explosive shells, Battleship, The Common <laughs> Flu, War of the Worlds, or my MacBook, No Reference Needed. Additionally, aliens would not wait a few days before deploying some sort of air vehicle, uh, War of the Worlds as well as Battle Los Angeles. I know that you have tackled similar subjects before and even devoted an entire episode to Independence Day alone, or was that tech stuff? Not sure. Side note, that was totally tech stuff. I am sad about that fact because I wish I could have been there for that episode. It was epic. I think I think that there's enough material to revisit it. Okay, back to what Brett. What is the future of Independence Day? Do I have Day? to watch it again? <laughs> Back to Brett. Back, Back to, to Brett. Brett. Okay. But I think that you guys could make an outstanding episode on this topic. We could assume that they want our resources, like oxygen or water. Would they try to kill off the human population with a nuke or biological weapon? Or would they even bother even bother themselves? Obviously, there would be nothing that humanity could do to fight back, much less win. Just don't tell me that we should hijack an ironclad from the 19th century <laughs> and use it to blow up the mothership, u- utilizing our innate ability to drop an anchor. Battleship was a terrible movie. You lose no geek cred for not getting that reference. Thanks for reading. 
Well, Brett, thank you so much for this email because I am so excited about talking about this topic because it's true what you say. The ways that humans fight back against alien invasions in the movies are so stupid. Yeah, not would not be effective in real life. Uh, D minus would not fight with again. To be fair, though, we don't have any real historical <laughs> battles with aliens we can point to and say, see, look where they got it wrong. You know, I do have a great idea for an alien invasion movie, though. It would be kind of like Battleship. But I haven't seen Wait, Battleship. Wait, how did you say great idea and then say kind of like Battleship? <laughs> I haven't seen Battleship, but I get the gist. Okay, yeah. Uh, but it wouldn't involve modern battleships. We would get into wooden Spanish galleons and fight the aliens in those. So you're essentially thinking of like Pirates of the Caribbean mixed with War of the Worlds. Yeah, like a, like a man of war versus a flying saucer. Oh, well, you know what? In my book, pirates always win, so I'm I'm on board. I mean, I would watch that movie. I guess on board literally in this case. Yeah, I mean, I would be in that movie. Yeah. Yo, no, let's make that movie. <laughs> All right. Y- yar, I say. Yar. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about this. I mean, obviously, we're going to be talking all on hypotheticals here. Right. But... I mean, this is going to be a tricky episode because we can't really base our answer in fact. We can just sort of look at some facts and then try to speculate. Oh, we can make intelligent conjectures. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Brett has already covered some of the ways in which science fiction has already addressed this. Of course, we've got Independence Day where, you know, aliens come in and they hover over our cities for a while. I don't know why they just wait around before they attack. Well, us, they have they... to coordinate that attack so that it all <laughs> happens at once and for to... reasons that we can't understand. And they have to scare us. Yeah. yeah. By yeah. blowing up uh, monuments that mean a lot to us personally. Right. Right. So instead of attacking major population centers, they attack things that you would recognize. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, uh, it makes sense, especially if they're trying to get their word out through a major motion picture. It's sure. it's, it's yeah. terrorism, not uh Yeah. Okay. Yeah, first let's scare the them into subjugation and then we're just going to, you know, what finish them off. Actually, aliens, if you're listening, uh you should probably just go ahead and and blow up like like coffee farms first because <laughs> that is going to be the most terrifying. Look, I love me. Hawaii. Don't don't blow up Hawaii. Uh you <laughs> know, don't blow up anything, kids. <laughs> I th- I think it's funny that Brett dismisses the answer in War of the Worlds, and I think with pretty good reason. I mean, you can kind of imagine that, again, it's hard to speculate about the nature of alien minds, and we'll talk more about that later. But it's kind of hard to imagine that they would mount a sophisticated military attack on Earth without being aware of germs and their susceptibility to germs. Similarly speaking, you would think that any alien race that came down to conquer Earth would also be aware that its most plentiful resource that covers most of its surface is also the stuff what will kill you. Oh, you're referring to science. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's problematic. That was... There's water vapor in the air, you guys. It's It's so dumb. Bad all around. Incredibly dumb. But yeah, no. <laughs> I guess it would have made more sense if they'd invaded a desert region. But yeah, they show up in a nice, moist countryside. It's got fog and everything. It would make more sense if they had invaded a planet that was devoid of water. That was not, in fact, seventy percent covered with water. Right. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, the, these are lots of, of course, variations in science fiction, and usually the the alien invasion stories. Not always, but usually. That's just the 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 dressing and the actual like themes or whatever are more embedded in the characters and how they react. There are exceptions. Independence Day, I don't think there's really much more going on other than stuff what blows up. Uh well I, I do think that I I do think that frequently these kind of alien invasion movies are thinly veiled metaphors for other foreign invasions, be they cultural or uh products of, of, of whatever na- international conflict is going sure. on at the time. Mm. Like, like certainly, I think a lot of the uh, classic uh, Cold War era movies were about the communists. Yeah. The OMG, the communists. Right. Oh, yeah. You have an invasion of the body snatchers oh, or, or yeah. any kind of other uh, 1950s, 1960s invasion movies were very much, I think, often concerned with the infiltration of dangerous ideas, be that uh, communism from, you know, actual acting communist agents around the world, like the Soviet Union, or merely fear of changing cultural zeitgeist, like right. in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about 
how likely is something like this to happen in the first place before we talk about how it would turn out? Right. So, again, this is an area like pretty much everything we're going to have to say in this episode where we don't really know an answer. We can just kind of make some guesses based on what we do know. Right. Sure. So how. But, but there are some really good numbers about like possible alien life out there. We've we've covered this a little bit on the podcast before. Right. So I think a good thing to start with would be. How many alien civilizations are out there? <laughs> I mean, again, we don't know, but we could start by looking at how many habitable planets are there probably in the Milky Way galaxy. So in November 2013, I was just trying to look for some of the most recent updates because they keep updating this number as as telescopes continually scope out more and more. Sure. Uh, in November 2013, Space.com reported that about 20% of sun-like stars observed by the Kepler telescope had had Earth-like planets. Uh, that is defined as a planet roughly Earth size in the habitable zone. So that's the zone where it's not so hot that you know, water would be vaporized and it's not so cold that all the water would be frozen. Mm -hmm. Right. So you extrapolate from that and say, well, if this is indicative of a broader trend throughout our galaxy that ends up being a lot of planets that could potentially support life. And that's just life as we know it. Right. So, so, yeah, as far as we can imagine life, the kind of life that's based on liquid water, which, you know, on one hand, that seems like a pretty reasonable metric for judging whether a planet could have life, but we don't really know. Sure. Uh, that's a lot of Earths. Uh, Seth Shostak, who we've referred to on the podcast before, he's a senior astronomer and director of the SETI Institute, he said last year that the number of habitable planets in our galaxy is in the tens of billions minimum. That's a lot. And that's not even including moons, which could also harbor life. Uh, so I've seen estimates of around 40 billion or 60 billion planets in our galaxy that could host life. So there's a lot of potential real estate out there for life. Uh, but... We're not, like, getting text messages from civilizations there. Yeah. So if there's 60 billion planets out there that could have an alien civilization on them, why haven't we heard a single word from anybody? This comes up with the uh, the Fermi paradox, right? Mm -hmm. The whole idea that, uh, in fact, if there is this this abundance of life, or at least the potential for it, why is it then that we have not actually observed that? Right. So the Fermi paradox sort of draws attention to this idea of the Drake equation, which mm -hmm. we devoted a, a whole podcast to one right. time. If you haven't heard that, I recommend going back to check it out. It's a really fun problem in exploring the sort of the, the numbers game of astrobiology. So the Drake equation says, look, we, you know, we've got all these planets out there. Mm -hmm. Um yet we haven't heard anything. So there must be some limiting factor that's interfering with us hearing from all these planets. It's either the fact that, say, life doesn't actually arise all that often, or it's the fact that maybe life arises fairly frequently, but intelligence doesn't develop all that often. Right. Or maybe it's the fact that uh, technology doesn't necessarily develop with intelligence, or maybe it's the fact that uh, that technological civilizations are likely to only transmit for a short period of time to transmit uh, electromagnetic radiation right. that we would detect for a small period of time. That's the kind of scary one because it implies that for some reason species that develop radios pretty soon after that go extinct. Right. Uh, and we don't know what the answer is there, mm -hmm. but for some reason, we're not hearing anything from mm -hmm. these planets. Uh, and, and then there are all these other crazy theories, like oh, who knows how crazy they actually are, but there's like the zoo theory. There could be alien civilizations out there that are using their vast technological powers to literally prevent us from detecting them. Mm -hmm. For so what? It's, yeah, it's, it's jammed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Uh, they're, they're keeping us in a protected little shell, yeah. maybe for our benefit, maybe for theirs. Who knows? We don't know the answers to these questions. But what we have to go on right now is that we haven't heard word one. Right. And also another thing to keep in mind, another part that's going to really come into this discussion as we go along, is that as Douglas Adams once observed, space is big. Really big. Yeah. You really... might think it's a jaunt down to the chemist shop on the corner, but that's <laughs> peanuts compared to space. <laughs> yeah. uh, you are quite right on that. And so was uh, 
So was our, our dear departed friend. No, there is a ridiculously huge distance between stars. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about space being big, we're not just saying there's a lot of stuff in it. Right. There's a lot of space in it. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of space between where things are. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to lift some notes that I came up with from our old episode, How to Discover an Exoplanet. Mm -hmm. Because back when we were talking about exoplanets, I wanted to think, like, what would it actually involve? To get to one. To, yeah, to travel from one solar system to another. Like, mm -hmm. does it make sense to say we could colonize an exoplanet in another solar system? And I kind of came to the conclusion that unless we develop, like, near light speed travel or especially faster than light travel, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Or we find some means of allowing a ship that could support multiple generations of people so that the people who land at the exoplanet are the descendants of the ones who took off from Earth. Right. Yeah. But 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 how many generations are we talking about? Like how, <laughs> how what kind of time length are we looking at? OK, yeah. Let me look at my math here. OK, so the the Milky Way is about 100,000 light years in diameter. So mm -hmm. Light takes 100,000 Earth years to get from one part to the other. Right. Or from one end to the other. Sure. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the average distance between stars, I've seen a few figures for this, but it's typically I would say the average estimate here is that it's more than four light years. So it's maybe five light years or four point something light years mm -hmm. between every star in our galaxy. Okay. Okay. That's so, so much space right. that it takes light. Right. Four years or more to travel between these stars. And we have nothing that allows us to remotely approach that speed. And moreover, based upon our knowledge of physics, uh, at least from what we know, mm -hmm. there's no way to go as fast, let alone faster than that speed. Yeah. So the nearest star to our solar system is Proxima Centauri, and it's about 4.2 light years away. That means it would take something traveling at the speed of light 4.2 years to get here from, from there. there. Right. right. <laughs> uh, so nobody knows exactly how many stars are in the Milky Way, but you can sort of guess by estimating the total mass of the galaxy, though. This is also difficult because then you have to divide that by what size you think the average star is, mm -hmm. taking into account the effects of dark matter and other normal matter in the galaxy. So it's hard to get a, a good number on that. But I've seen astronomers guess from between 200 billion stars to up to a trillion or more stars in our galaxy. Mm -hmm. So if we put the number at one trillion, just for argument's sake, if mm -hmm. you grant that there are a hundred other technological alien species in this galaxy, okay. that leaves a one in 10 billion chance that any of them <laughs> are in the solar system nearest to us. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what I'm getting at is that if they're out there, they're probably really, really, really far away. Uh-huh. And, and right, g going back to that, to that travel speed thing, like... I, I'm not sure what the fraction of the speed of light that we can travel at is, but yeah. it's, it's a small fraction. Well, let's look at the fastest spacecraft we've ever created. Okay. So right now, the fastest thing we can think of in terms of spacecraft is the Voyager. Mm -hmm. And the Voyager is kind of a special case because it, it's traveling at more than 35,000 miles per hour. Actually, there are two of them, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Mm -hmm. If you look at like Voyager 1, it's going more than 35,000 miles per hour, maybe like 37, 38,000 miles per hour as it's exiting the solar system. Mm -hmm. This is the one you've heard about that it actually exited the solar system. It's mm -hmm. going out into interstellar space. Right. How did it, it get it, it going? Did, it did that like 12 times. <laughs> right. How did it get to that fast? Well, it had to use some really special maneuvers to achieve that that speed. Mm -hmm. It had to slingshot around Jupiter and then I think also slingshot around Saturn. I believe you're correct. So it had to use the, the massive power of the gravity wells of these planets uh the the gravity wells and, and the and the planetary motion itself yeah. like like the 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 planetary motion around the sun in order to slingshot out that fast yeah. right and nobody's on it so it's not like they're experiencing extravagant g-forces or any kind of time dilation oh, or anything like right. that yeah god i wonder what the g-forces would be like if you were to put a person on the voyager i mean it, it seems Unpleasant. like I would guess. I don't have a number for this. I would guess it might kill you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so even if you, so that's like more than 35,000, but let's just round up 
to 50,000 miles per hour. Let's say, Which is a big old jump, yeah. but for the sake of argument and mathematics. Yeah, especially for the sake of mathematics. Sure. Yeah. Uh, ju- <laughs> nice just easy for round simplicity. Number. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, let's say you're going at 50,000 miles per hour in a in an alien-made spacecraft. 20 to 40 years, I'm sure that we'll have that, yeah. And they're traveling from GLIAS 667CC, which has been declared one of the closest highly Earth-like exoplanets that we've yet discovered. It's only about 22 light years away, so oh. it's very, very close compared sure. to most stars in the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you do a little math on that. 22 light years, that's like uh, 1.29 times 10 to the 14 miles, or about 129 trillion miles. At 50,000 miles per hour... Uh, that would take 294,325 years. That's, oh. That's a better pack of snack. Yeah. yeah. Some coloring books, a couple of activity books, maybe. Um, a couple board games, yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 Slug bug. Would get really old. Uh, as Situated, I pointed out, I <laughs> as I pointed out the last time we talked about traveling this distance, that's longer than we've been a species. Yes. That's longer than Homo sapiens has existed. Right. Uh, at this rate, you're talking about an alien invader that would really be more a native of the spacecraft it traveled in mm-hmm. than a native of the planet it came from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it would have to, I mean, in, in that long, you'd be talking about evolutionary time that would adapt to the spacecraft and, and become a native of that environment. Yeah, I mean, again, like, based off of life as we know it, because I personally cannot conceive of a being, I guess, other than maybe like a virus that lives in any kind of time span that would understand what, you know, 294,000 years even means. Right. The equivalent of that, of course, because we're talking Earth years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's being generous to the invasion hypothesis, because as I said, that's a really close exoplanet. Yeah. And keep, keep in mind that this is all also dependent upon... You know, we're we're making some assumptions, but we have to. Let's assume the aliens are going to need some sort of source of energy for themselves to survive. Mm-hmm. So they have to get hold of that on the trip yeah, or be able to carry it with them. How uh, about the energy to power the space? That would be a huge thing, too. I mean, they're 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 such huge and seemingly insurmountable challenges, at least for, as we see it, the way we travel through space, that these are some of the reasons why we feel that an alien invasion is, uh, is, is unlikely to happen, but we'll, we'll explain more in a bit. Okay. So we've established why we think it's unlikely, but, and and that's not the only reason it might be unlikely. (laughs) We'll talk about more later there in terms of perhaps alien motivation. Sure. But, You'd have to assume that if you just play the probability game, any alien species getting to us in any reasonable amount of time probably is going to have to have a faster than light mode of transport. Right. And as far as we know, that's not possible. That's physically impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're not saying what's out there in the realms of physics. Maybe you could engineer a faster than light travel system by creating some kind of warp drive where instead of moving through space faster than light, you move the space around you. Right. Or something yeah. Like yeah. That. I, we, we've discussed that before on the show a little bit too. And things like wormholes uh-huh. and all this kind of stuff. But all, all this is really theoretical. And even the theorists say there may be no re- real equivalent to this stuff we're showing. Yeah. It may be that, you know, mathematically this is possible, but, practically it's impossible that's always a chance for that yeah so anyway the only point i want to make there is i think it's pretty safe to assume if an alien species gets to us there they probably have such incredible technological capability we can't even comprehend how powerful their technology is which which is to suggest that uh if they it, it if they got guns we're done for because, I mean, if they've got a if they've got the ability to travel faster than light, can you only imagine what their weaponry must be like? Yeah. Uh, so before we go into more of that, let's talk about some of the different scenarios that could potentially serve as motivators to an alien species invading the Earth. Yeah, I think a good point Brett brings up in the email is what are they looking for? Like, yeah. why do they invade Earth? So the answer Brett gives is. They want our consumable resources. I, I think Brett says they want uh, like oxygen or water. Mm-hmm. Right. This but, seems very implausible to me, mm-hmm. simply because uh, if we're talking about that same number we mentioned earlier, the 
vast host of uh, potentially habitable planets out there. You have to assume that at least many of them, if not most of them, do not have any sort of intelligent life just based on the fact that we haven't detected anything. Granted, some of them are so far that we wouldn't have picked up any signals if their development was on the same time scale as Earth's. Mm -hmm. But, you know, making these kind of assumptions, you'd have to say, well, there's got to be plenty of space out there that you could go to where you wouldn't even have to bother with any kind of civilization that would be there. Either there, there, it may be a planet that's capable of supporting life, but there's no life on it. Or it may have life on it, but there might not be any intelligent life on it. So why would you go through the trouble of bothering a planet that has intelligent life on it when you've got other options open mm -hmm. to you? Yeah. Um, especially if ultimately what you're looking at doing is building a giant pipeline back to your home planet or what? Like, cause even if it's a resources thing, how do you harvest those resources and get them back to wherever they need to go? Because presumably, you know, that's the reason why you're going to a new planet. Or, or maybe maybe they're, you know, traveling and they've like run out of gas. And what they use for gas the, is people <laughs> like they just Alien happen gas to be people. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's like a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. You just yeah. shove a couple of people in there. Yeah. yeah. That's nothing like a hydrogen fuel it's cell like, people. It's like, <laughs> just it's, like Mr. You know. it's like Mr. Fusion, but yeah, uh, exactly. it runs on people. <laughs> Suddenly Back to the Future 2 becomes a horror movie. Uh, Man, this is so morbid. Exploring all the reasons they might want to kill us. No, we we are going to explore reasons they might not want to kill us. But, but this sure. is but this this particular but, one, the the resources one is one I find implausible. Yeah. There are so many other ways right. of gathering resources. Right, right, right. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. I I think you make a good point there, especially again if we're assuming the level of technological capability it would require to travel between stars. They're, they're probably in a post scarcity in world. Right, exactly. Too. They probably don't need to yeah harvest other or i mean maybe they are harvesting other planets yeah. but uh, yeah well okay so that's they really sort of need ours yeah, <laughs> that's the smash and grab scenario but what <laughs> what <laughs> y'all they got Reeboks. let's go <laughs> i'm just thinking back to my high school days yeah yeah so that's the sort of like looting earth scenario <laughs> but what if they want to settle down? I mean, what if they don't just want our our removable resources, but they actually want our real estate? They want yeah. to come live on this planet now. Now, this one also seems implausible to me uh, for multiple reasons. One is that um, we as human beings have largely shaped our planet, right? We uh, to suit us, right? Yeah, yeah we've yeah. we've built cities. And we've got we're very specific beings. Yeah, and unless the aliens happen to be like the Star Trek style aliens, where they look almost but not quite exactly like human beings, almost as though they're merely wearing makeup, right? Or or <laughs> perhaps a couple of bumps on their foreheads, uh -huh. or maybe some pointy ears in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless that's the case, then obviously moving in here, Earth would be a major fixer upper. Like you're yeah. talking like it'd be like if I if I bought a house that was built and designed by a guy who's eight feet tall, it would not suit my needs. Mm -hmm. Nothing would be good for me. Yeah. Another thing I would think about this is that Earth's environment is very specific in a natural way as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't it's not just like all the ways in which we polluted and, and shaped the land to our desires. Earth also has, for example, an atmosphere of a particular composition right. that's breathable to us but probably not breathable to another species that came about on a planet that had a different atmospheric composition. Mm -hmm. The same thing could be true about things that are edible or not edible, mm -hmm. or if the alien species has its own, for example, uh, uh, agriculture, whether or not the soil composition could support it. I mean, there are a lot of... Like it, yeah, Earth, Earth's soil composition doesn't always behoove us. That's true. To try to grow stuff that we can eat. So, so yeah, I mean, you would have to you would have to have aliens that are incredibly similar to human beings for it to be like, oh, let's move into this neighborhood. And and specifically that are like, I don't know, like like looking for like, oh man, check out those condos, you right. know? Like, look like, at those sick rides. We need that planet. This this thing is awesome. I mean, it's it, the real estate bubble burst. The prices are is a steal. They've got what it is ball machines <laughs> and ho-hos right yeah oh i'm no no i want a ho-ho <laughs> yeah so I, I don't know i i agree with you also that this one seems kind of implausible to me mm -hmm. i mean if there are so many planets out there that are in the habitable zone that seems like that would be the basic requirement for a, a new colony if they right, wanted to right. live there like why would earth be preferable 
to any number of dead Mars-like planets out there that you could terraform to your needs. Uh, Yeah, if you've got all of this amazing technology, you can use that to make your own ho-hos. You don't need to take ours. Right. Uh, Okay, so here's another possibility I thought of. What about a preemptive strike? So they see us as a current, or maybe not current, but future threat threat or competitor and they're trying to knock us out of the running while we're still relatively weak. This is sort of the day the Earth stood still scenario right. where the invaders there, I mean, they don't have particularly malicious intent. But Klaatu comes and tells us, like, look, you guys are about to get nuclear weapons and proliferate them a lot and have the capability of, of really causing damage in the galaxy and I represent a sort of council of aliens who who are here to tell you you need to cool it or we're going to destroy you. Right. So I also think this is implausible, at least in any reasonable time frame, simply because our ability to affect anything outside of our solar system is next to, to nothing at the moment. Uh, like we were saying earlier, Voyager 1 and 2 are leaving the solar system and left the solar system. But those are unmanned probes. It's the only man-made objects that have ever exited the solar system. And even if there were a target anywhere remotely close to us, it would take, you know, centuries, millennia for anything we would send to get there. So I think any uh, alien race intelligent enough to recognize where we are technologically would also recognize we're nowhere close to being a threat. Now, Obviously, that's dependent upon the state of affairs right now. If you jump ahead where we suddenly have better, well, not suddenly, we have developed this incredible technology. And this could be, again, millennia in the future. Mm -hmm. The story might be different, but then humans could be fundamentally different by then. We might, we, the people sitting in this room and talking to you, the people listening, might not even recognize the beings that would be humanity at that point. So it's, you know, this is one of those where I I think assuming that the alien race is in fact able to recognize our level of technological sophistication, they would come up with the idea of, you know, these guys, these guys aren't any, any problem. The the example I gave is it's kind of like if I identified there was an ant colony in New Zealand that really, I, I just like, man, I don't want those ants to, invade my house in Atlanta. I fly all the way to New Zealand, poison that anthill and fly all the way back and think, mm-hmm. whew, headed that one off at the pass. Yeah, taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> and th- that's how I justify my trips to New Zealand. Again, I have to agree with you. I, I think, like you do, that this is also a pretty implausible scenario, at least at this point. I mean, yeah. again, as we will have to keep saying, just to always have the disclaimer out there, it's hard to understand alien minds. I mean, we can't predict how they might behave. Sure. And that's actually going to figure into one of our uh-huh. uh, scenarios here. <laughs> but based on what we know now, it seems implausible. I don't mm-hmm. know why they would really do that. But here are a couple that I think might be a little more understandable to us. Sure. What if they're doing some science? Okay. I mean, like, we all have science to do. Right. Right. I, I love doing some science mm-hmm. of my own, you know, go poke around in the back of the fridge at work and see what's been in there for months. Right. Uh, I, I can tell you right now the cake is a lie. <laughs> well, they're in some way maybe fulfilling their curiosity about us. And in this scenario, I think it's less likely that they'd want to exterminate us or something right. like that. But they might wish to study us in ways that are harmful or unpleasant not, yeah, for the selected subjects. Our survival as a species, or at, least, at least our comfort. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. the classic gray alien kind of, you know, you're probing territory. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is one that I, I, I agree with you, Joe. I, I think this is one that, that if such a, an alien race were to exist, I would imagine curiosity would have to be part of their uh, intellectual makeup. It might not be defined that way by them, but if you're talking about a race that has already developed something like faster than light uh, travel, yeah. I would, I would, I would posit that that means they are curious enough to have developed the technology. Uh, sure, yeah. sure. Well, I mean, also, I, I would, I would say that curiosity is one of the ways that we define intelligence to begin with. Right. So. Yeah. Especially human. Yeah, human intelligence. Mm-hmm. I would say it's it's a a very central factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then there's just the last scenario, which is that 
they have reasons that simply aren't rational to us. And yes. I, I think this is possible, too. I mean, there's a huge problem for us in trying to predict the basic nature of alien minds, let alone the more complex structures of, like, alien culture or mm -hmm. alien beliefs. I, I don't know how you'd even begin to speculate about what those beliefs or cultural values might be. Sure. So it's possible that, uh, and while I don't necessarily think this, I do think we have to entertain the possibility that they might simply find us disgusting or right. repulsive or they might have something like a religious belief that says we're bad and need to be destroyed, or they might simply regard other life forms of all kinds with jealousy and paranoia. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is the, the Halo universe Oh, right, story. yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Covenant had mm -hmm. uh, this huge kind of like, well, that's bad, let's kill it. Right, yeah. Sort of mentality a, about humans. It was an alien coalition, and they had identified humans as being this sort of heretical, demon-like race that needed to be wiped clean of the of the galaxy. And, uh, you know, granted, that's little video games, science fiction, little video games, big video games, <laughs> science fiction, it's a big video game that I happen to love. Um, but it's it's the a sci very science fiction-y idea, but at the same time, you could say, all right, well, that could be a motivation. And, so, and that's one that you cannot have any sort of rational approach to say, hey, don't kill us. If they if they say, you know, you specifically are offensive to our site, there's you know nothing you can do because it is what you are. Right. So mm -hmm. it'd be like if uh, if my wife spotted a cockroach in our kitchen, mm -hmm. she'd say, OK, I, I want you to kill that. You know, I know it's a living thing. Uh, but I don't want it here. And if you don't kill it, I will divorce you. You know, it could be some alien <laughs> wife somewhere saying, hey, these things that are in this corner of our galaxy, are gross. they are disgusting and you got to get rid of them. Get them out. That's when you've got the alien Orkin man coming this way. Mm -hmm. You can't. I mean, I, a cockroach couldn't argue with me about it. I don't think I'm not Kafka-esque enough for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that is our next point. Could we, I mean, could we argue with them? Would this necessarily mean <laughs> certain doom for humanity? Well, so here's my feeling. Again, uh, we're not at this part yet, but I, I am going to talk in a minute about why I think it, we shouldn't necessarily assume that any aliens we encountered would be hostile. I, I don't necessarily have sure, that point of sure. view. But if they were, my intuition says that it would not go well for us. <laughs> yeah, this kind of goes back to that whole thing about if we've if we encounter a race that's capable of interstellar travel on a on a, you know, a. a Decent time scale, something that they're able to within their lifetimes mm -hmm. traverse. Yeah. Sure. Then we can assume that some of their other technologies are equally developed well beyond what we can do. And in that case, you know, granted, we're going to assume that they can, they're going to obey the laws of physics. I mean, we can't if we throw that out, then there's no point in even having a conversation like they have a magic switch that makes you go away. Um, so assuming that they do obey the laws of physics uh, they could still be well beyond our capabilities to the point where they might be able to flood our planet with radiation that would kill us, for example. Right. That Have kind a of sort thing. of like planet-wide neutron bomb yeah. or something. I mean, this this is – and with that, there's like, well, that's – there's a 0% chance of us coming out on top on that scenario. Yeah, that's, that's game over. Yeah. Yeah. Man, uh, game over. Uh, yeah, so we can try to here for a minute explore, well, what are some ways, because this is basically what Brett, I think, was asking. The core of Brett's question mm -hmm. was about, is there any way you could actually stand up to aliens or is it is it all just a no-go? So I think the most obvious option for self-defense is, well, we just use our most powerful weapons against them immediately. So, so nuke them the second they show up. This this works so well in movies like Independence Day or The Fifth Element. Yeah, yeah. I think this seems like an incredibly bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Like just a horrible, horrible idea. So here's my thinking. A first strike... <laughs> Against an interstellar species, in addition to being immoral, I mean, like deeply if, immoral, like like look, there's another life form, kill it now. Yeah, that's what we're <laughs> afraid they would do to right. us. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, not that's not nice. So no, that is not a moral way to behave. I think it could also be suicidal. Yeah, like it has the potential to turn a friendly encounter into an interstellar war if mm -hmm. you make a first strike. And then that's an interstellar war that again, I really don't think we could win. Right. I mean, yeah. you're. You, 
This is, of course, assuming that the aliens don't make the rookie mistake of piling their entire civilization into a single ship that is <laughs> that is uh, vulnerable to nuclear weapons, in which case we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but there's a good chance that yeah, there's at least yeah. a few folks back home who are mm-hmm. like, OK, we gave you guys we gave you guys a chance. Yeah. Now we're going to have to slap you. Right. You make a good point there. I am not an alien invasion commander, but if I were... My scouting or vanguard forces, sort of the forward uh, spacecraft that first arrived at your target planet, probably wouldn't be manned. Yeah. Or a- aliened. Right, exactly. There's a lot of, uh, of of speculation that says if we were to encounter alien life, likely our first encounter would be with things that were built by the alien mm-hmm. life forms. Because sending out probes is, yeah. uh, you know, that that's something that is much easier than having to send out and support a life form. Right. We wouldn't encounter them. We'd encounter their technology. Right. And, and that might be purely mechanical or electronic like our robots. It could be biological. It could be that they've engineered an organism that is essentially a robot. It's just that it's an organic robot. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the, the, it could so, be a combination of both. It could be a Dalek yep. kind of thing with sure. a little thing yeah. brain. And in a... which case, we just run up the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're paying attention to seasons nine through and then whatever. Elevate, elevate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, in addition to it being deeply immoral and the wrong thing to do, I don't think a just an all out, you know, first strike would work well for us at all. That, that's just not an option. All right. So, Joe, let's say let's say we're doing the the classic uh, situation where uh, the cops have closed in. There's a, a guy who's in the bank who's trying to rob the bank and they're they're saying, uh, uh, you know, come out or we're going to start tear gassing the place. And the robber comes out holding a gun to himself and says, if you come any closer, I shoot. And they all say, whoa, whoa, he's serious. I've watched a lot of comedies recently. <laughs> but the idea being that, you know, if you make a move, I'm going to I'm going to take myself out. What if we did that with the whole Earth? What if if the aliens came and said, we want your stuff and we said, you can't have our stuff. And they said, we're going to kill you. And you say, if you kill us, we're going to wipe out all our stuff. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Yeah, this is actually, though, I think this is an incredibly horrible idea. <laughs> I think this is the best idea I could come up with. <laughs> so oh. I, I wrote I wrote oh. about this. In the notes, it's to hold our resources hostage. Right, right, right. Uh, Like I say, I couldn't think of a more effective strategy than this, even though this is one of the worst ideas I've ever heard of. Ineffective strategy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason this would be a really bad idea is if you've ever seen the movie Dr. Strangelove. Many times. (laughs) Right, yeah. One of the scenarios in that movie is that there is a perimeter system or sort of what's what's known in Cold War technology circles as a dead hand system mm-hmm. where you create a defensive structure that detects automatically when there has been an attack mm-hmm. and launches a counterattack without human intervention. And it's irreversible. Yeah. And so in, in Dr. Strangelove, the Soviets announce... Uh, yeah, we've just put in place this dead hand system where if, if, you know, bombs get detected in Russia, it nukes all of the allied cities or all the NATO, I guess, uh, whatever the opposing power was, the United States and NATO probably, uh, it nukes all their cities immediately and there's no way to intervene or turn it off. Right. And, uh, and the real key here is that they only announce this after a crazed American has launched a, a preemptive sort strike a against the personal Soviets. unilateral attack. Yeah. Yeah. So and that exposes one of the main problems with this. I mean, there are a lot of <laughs> big problems with this kind of thing. But the the crucial fact is your enemy has to know that this system is in place for it to be effective. Right. Uh, right. Right. Which means that we have to be in some kind of very clear communication with this alien civilization, which I'm not positive is going to be the case. Yeah. You, you'd have to have the aliens know for a fact that yeah. if they attempted to harm humans, there would be an automatic system response that destroyed all the resources on Earth that yeah. they wanted. And it would have to be a you know, assuming that they want something like water or oxygen, you'd have to damn it because you can't destroy water or oxygen. I'd say the best you could do is 
dirty like bomb, yeah, dirty bomb yeah. the whole planet, cover everything in radioactive dust that would make it just incredibly toxic and you couldn't get near it. Mm-hmm. Unless they like radiation, in which case, uh... yeah, that's a problem. Uh, okay, so <laughs> as I've said, I think this is maybe yeah. the most effective plan that that I could think of, but there's so many problems with it. I, I mean, again, this is just horrible. What if you have a false trigger and it destroys Earth by mistake? It depends on the aliens knowing what's going on. Right. How would we advertise this device in a way yeah. that, you know, that, that we were sure that the aliens would understand? Welcome to Earth. Don't touch our stuff or we blow it up. Right. Yeah. I, I think that this is my best idea and a truly, deeply troubling, disturbing, horrible idea. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it would be an effective means of of preventing any sort of alien attack should such a thing actually be plausible. Yeah. I don't think it would help at all. The best you could hope for is that it's kind of spoiling what they wanted. And, and that's, or, you know. Or that maybe they would go like, oh, oh, they're crazy. Yeah. And back away slowly from Earth forever. Right. If they could figure out what it was we were saying, then maybe, maybe. But, you know, again, it's. It it seems like uh, if we were to pour a lot of resources into developing something like that, the potential for something going horribly wrong along the way that has nothing to do with any aliens anywhere, that's enough for me to say, let's don't do that. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, like the best case scenario there is for the aliens to just kind of like put a marker outside of Earth that says like, caution, here be monsters, <laughs> right. and bad just turns, na- turns just, away. <laughs> bad neighborhood. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, it it would make us sort of bad guys in the yeah. galaxy, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, we we don't want to be the bad guys. The no. whole point here is us talking about we want to try to be the good guys and make sure that we're not threatened by bad guys. But another question is, are we sure that the aliens out there are bad guys? Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, because didn't no less than Carl Sagan say that he hoped or that he he felt. Because he felt so many things, yeah. Um, that that aliens would not be. Yeah, he, he, his his opinion was that any civilization that would evolve to the point capable of interstellar travel, it it shows a, a capacity for cooperation and innovation and curiosity that would mean that they had likely evolved beyond hostility. Yeah, I've got some reasoning about that. I want to explore at the very end, but before we get to that, I guess we should talk also about. Uh, the fact that some people actually wrote a book yeah. <laughs> about how to fight against an and, alien invasion. And not just people. I mean, aerospace engineers who yeah. have like a collection of PhDs uh-huh. between the four of them uh, wrote a book. Uh, it was published, I think, back in 2007. It's called An Introduction to Planetary Defense, a Study of Modern Warfare Applied to Extraterrestrial Invasion. And it takes a serious look at this question. Mm-hmm. It's not meant as comedy. It's meant to say... All right, what's the likelihood? They kind of follow the same path that we have. What's the likelihood that this would happen? And they go through the math. They draw different conclusions than what we have. Um, one thing they say is, look, even if you go at bare minimum and you say that we're the only intelligent civilization in the Milky Way galaxy, then maybe it stands to reason that every single galaxy has at least one intelligent civilization in it. And there are billions of them. But man, if you thought the distance between stars was huge. Yeah, intergalactic <laughs> travel. Well, it's essentially like if if there's a, an alien race capable of intergalactic travel, I'm pretty sure it's game over. Right. I don't know that any kind of of of, of clever warfare is going to help us. I, yeah, yeah. Because that's what they wound up suggesting. Yeah, they it? they were talking about like kind of a French resistance underground uh effort to guerrilla tactics. Use right. guerrilla tactics to to resist the alien invasion. I'm not <laughs> sure exactly how they envisioned the actual alien invasion taking place where this would be an effective means mm-hmm. of of fighting back. Uh others have suggested that perhaps the best approach would be to develop um space Weaponry. So weapons where we could go out and engage alien invading forces in space before they got to the planet. Mm -hmm. Man, Um, I I do not want our research and development in space to be based around blowing stuff up. Me neither. Yeah. That's not what I want. That that kind of pollutes that. It it was one of the coolest things about space in the 20th century was this was the place where war stopped in a yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you where, could where, still... where collaboration happened. Yeah, well, it was curiosity that was driving it, right? Sure. Well, you could totally, um, I guess, explain some space projects as 
Uh, an yeah. outgrowth of, of rivalry between oh, nations. Like obvious. you can you can look at the space race as something that resulted from the Cold War. Oh, it was in, absolutely a motivation to be like, check out how big my rockets are. I can reach you. <laughs> yeah, but at least we were never fighting up there. Yeah. You know, we yeah. were never putting mm-hmm. weapons in space to fight each other with. Right. It was a place of peace, basically. And then and then eventually we really did get collaboration, like with the International Space mm-hmm. Station. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I would prefer <laughs> that. I mean, I just think back about the space race and the Cold War and how closely related they were. But uh, but the, ultimately, yeah, we've really been more about research. There's been not really that much of an emphasis on militarization, apart from some satellites, obviously. GPS mm-hmm. was a military technology mm-hmm. that eventually got uh, uh, decommissioned enough. Well, not decommissioned, but but passed so that we civilians could actually use it. Um so, I mean, I, I would hope that we would follow that pathway and treat space as this is the the truly the final frontier. This is where we can really explore, learn more about our place in the galaxy, all that sort of stuff. And less about y'all. There could be aliens coming here any day now. So let's figure <laughs> out how to have our, our mm-hmm. Millennium Falcons up there to make sure they blows them up. Actually, there are a bunch of fringe theorists who insist that uh, that the world's governments are possibly just the U.S. government or I, I'm not sure, like corporations or something like that, are, are planning on faking an alien invasion um, yeah. in order to convince like we the people that we need to continue building out our military industrial complexes. I'm not sure that we need that justification. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, they've been working on them without an alien invasion for a while. Yeah, it's... To me, that's something that ends up because it's not up to the individual. It's not up to the people. Really, right. it's not that we vote on that. That's that's those are decisions made by politicians that we do vote into office. Well, well I guess but, just so that we don't overthrow the politicians when well, they suggest that we need more weapons. I think and I less think food or healthcare. Or I think finding out that the politi- that that the NSA is spying on everybody and that didn't cause enough people to get upset about it, that we're pretty okay. We don't need to worry about overthrowing at this point. Um, but uh, also, I love the idea of faking the alien invasion so that you can foster a sense of global community here on right. Earth and settle our differences, a.k.a. the Watchman defense. <laughs> right. Exactly. Giant psychic squid have to attack. Was it New York? Something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh... it, it's a decent point, actually, though, I think. I mean, it. If we were going to resist any kind of alien hostility, again, seems like kind of a lost cause. But if we're going to go in, we better go in together, right? We would need a collective united effort. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's another thing. I I was reading a bunch of of fringe theory kind of stuff about alien invasion in preparation for this podcast episode. And uh, I want to start my my little th- this kind of section about what a lot of them said because that is one of the points that they made that that like we we need to be collective in our in our efforts um if we are going to possibly fight an alien invasion uh but but i i, I do also want to say like cuz i may or may not slip into a little bit of snark uh and as as we all might during this this brief foray into fringe uh, fringe yeah. but um so so i want to start out by saying that that i respect everyone's processes of uh, ideation and imagination Mm -hmm. and that I do not want to off the bat discredit any of my fellow humans um, because it is in fact the far out thinkers and and uh, creatives who give us really world changing important stuff. That being said, that being said, (laughs) a a lot of what they say seems a little bit on the incredible side in like the literal meaning of the word. It is not necessarily credible perhaps poorly thought out um but yes yeah i i i'm going to go with Patton oswalt who says i don't need to i don't have to respect your opinion i just have to acknowledge that you have one yeah and they do have some interesting ideas that that i think are are decent ones so um so so yeah collective effort Right. Let mm-hmm. us be united as humans. Just like that brief sequence in Independence Day where yeah. you have the four people from the Americans, <laughs> bloody hell. Yeah, that's on my playlist. Um, so that's one thing. That's, being that's collective. one thing. Sure, sure. Uh, we they, they say that we're going to need to position ourselves as part 
of the native Earth environment. You know, like convince any potential invaders um, that whatever they want to do with Earth, they should let us keep hanging out here because we're an important part of Earth. Oh, right. like we're uh, we're an integral part of what this planet's ecology is. Another point um, to to be green to, uh, to you know take care of our planet mm-hmm. in order to like a you know unite humanity by stopping for example fossil fuel wars and Mm -hmm. stuff like that sure Um, so we can present a more pristine gift to our new insect overlords yeah exactly (laughs) to to, to be like see we're good at taking care of this planet check it yo right it's more it's more not so much like look how awesome our place is why don't you move in but but along the lines of if their motivations are in fact you guys are awful and we need to squish you like a bug we could say no look we're great stewards of our planet Hmm. yeah so. Uh, we could try on the offensive and uh, biological warfare, sort of like if Ugh. the Native Americans had given the European invaders smallpox blankets. <laughs> <laughs> but th- this one, of course, is is difficult because we have no way of knowing what alien physiology is going to be or if there's oh, yeah. any sort of right. compatibility with Earth, uh, you know germs or toxins with alien physiology. Yeah, this is, again, assuming that they're not exploring uh, with unmanned, you know, right, that's robotic true. probes. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, I've tried to, I tried to infect a robot, like, for four hours the other day, and it was just a fruitless effort. <laughs> Look, everyone needs a hobby. Yours is sneezing on robots. <laughs> you know, I thought I'd give it a try. Turns uh- on. Okay, um, what else, Lauren? Uh, and and yeah, and and also, I guess, guess on the offensive measures, uh, just you know, keep building our satellite presence and working on rocket technology and and build those weapons out in space. Uh, yeah, weapons Which we, in space. No, yeah, no, 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 no. Nobody, nobody wants weapons in space. Well, uh, some people want weapons in space. I, we do not. I think. I think again, going back to the the fact that we find the possibility of an alien invasion to be so low on the probability meter means that uh, pouring actual resources into into that sort of thing would be premature at best. Yeah, Jonathan, I, I think that's a pretty good segue into what I want to finish with, which is why I think that even if we encounter an alien civilization or even if we don't, we're just really not very likely to encounter an, a, a hostile invasion scenario. Sure. Right, right. Uh, and so one of the things I want to start with is the idea that we mentioned earlier, that, that great filter idea. Mm-hmm. So here's the reasoning. The great filter is sort of the idea that powerful technology could, in most cases, lead to the ability to commit a species-level murder-suicide. Right. So essentially the, the great filter states that you get all these different you know, assume that you have all these different types of life forms. There is a point, a wall, where those life forms will not evolve further in intelligence uh, for the most part. And only occasionally will you ever get one that actually breaks through that filter. Uh, and there could be many different reasons for that, one of which being that once you once you reach a certain point of technological development, assuming that the aliens are like people where we have differences of opinion amongst our own Mm -hmm. species. Mm -hmm. When you develop the capability of causing worldwide devastation with your technological attacks, it could just be a matter of time before someone does it, which is a pretty terrifying way of looking at things, but it could be true. Yeah. Well, the idea is that along with supremely powerful technology, you almost certainly get the ability to wipe yourself out. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can observe this just in our history. It's the one case we know of, of, of what technological development looks like. And in our case, we got radio communication, space travel, and nuclear weapons all within a few decades of each other. Yeah. And it seems plausible that whatever species you're talking about, those discoveries probably will sort of go hand in hand mm-hmm. just because the, the, they're all sort of linked up in a similar stage of development and the sophistication of chemistry and physics. Right, sure. right. Just for one example, uh, if you're imagining alien technology, it seems hard to imagine that aliens could have faster than light travel, if that's even possible, and it very well might not be, as we've said. If they're able to have that, they'd pretty much have to understand relativity in physics. Mm-hmm. Relativity is the same principle that gives us atomic weapons, e mm-hmm. equals mc squared, the mass-energy equivalence, It says, oh, you can split an atom and turn that into a bomb. So we have to assume 
that a species that can fly around really fast through space and send radio messages probably has really powerful weapons. Mm, knows how to blow stuff up real good. Yeah. Right. But the longer a species has the technological capability to wipe itself out and doesn't, I think the more we can assume it has developed internal psychological and cultural resources for avoiding war and yeah. violence. This is getting closer to what Carl Sagan was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so, in other words, we might have good reason for thinking a technologically powerful alien species that hasn't either destroyed itself or knocked itself proverbially back into the Stone Age is peaceful. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing to consider is that I think a huge percentage, if not all, violent conflicts can be traced to an underlying competition for scarce resources. But one of the things advanced technology does is help eliminate scarcity. Uh, right. Once you get into those higher levels of civilization that we talked about in another podcast as right. well, um, you, you start realizing that, yeah, everyone would have to... You, you, that the part of that technological advancement is based upon having the resources to do the technology. Yeah, yeah. And so there, there is a caveat, I should state, which is that, you know, I think there's a pretty decent case for saying a highly technological species wouldn't be violent against itself if it's been around for a while. I suppose you could imagine a species is internally peaceful but unsympathetic towards alien species, but intuitively that doesn't seem right i mean it seems like at a certain point you would be uh able you would have any species that can communicate and empathize with itself recognizes the presence of intelligence in general like that's what it's responding to yeah that that having world peace and then going out and kicking another planet would be just very undoed well and (laughs) and, yeah and and just the just that ability to recognize that another species uh, happens to possess some of the same qualities you do. It's just those qualities may be manifest themselves in remarkably different ways, mm-hmm. but you recognize that it's there. Yeah. Um, another little bit less sweet and touchy-feely, but still perhaps comforting possibility, is that the aliens would be cautious. Mm-hmm. I mean, so Stephen Hawking famously sort of advised that we should mind our own business in the galaxy. Like, we don't know how advanced these alien civilizations could be if they exist, and we can't just assume they'll be friendly. He compared it to sort of the brutal colonization of the Americas by the Europeans just a few hundred years ago Mm -hmm. within the same species. Mm -hmm. And so he makes a pretty good point there. You know, it might be worth being cautious, uh, and it might also work out in our favor if any potential alien rivals follow the same principle just for reasons of simple prudence they might want to hang back and avoid contact on the off chance that the encounter goes badly. They might be like the spider as scared of us as we are of them. Oh, sure, sure. They might be sitting in their home world thinking like, oh, like, like what if other planets are filled with horrible two legged, two eyed creatures that walk around creating atomic energy in irresponsible ways. There could be three of them doing a podcast (laughs) right now. (laughs) About what it would be like to invade an alien planet. <laughs> it would be the sister episode of this one. If yeah. this if this were a video show, well, I mean, not that we don't have a video show, but if this were a video mm-hmm. show, what we would need to do is have it a little doodle 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 and cut to the three of us in like really shoddy alien right, costumes. Right, right, like maybe with the little antenna from yeah. like pre- the early Star Trek. And, okay, yeah. but at any rate, sorry, yes. Yeah, well, maybe in the end it's naive of me, but I kind of do feel like we could favor the better angels of alien nature as opposed to the more base instincts just because of of what you'd have to assume an alien mind must be like in order to achieve a highly advanced technological civilization yeah you can't create technology without cooperation mm-hmm. no technology occurs from one individual it's based on you know collaboration and previous uh, and improving on previous designs sure you can't have that kind of cooperation without the kind of thing we would refer to as a theory of mind, the ability to sort of imagine what other people are thinking, to run simulations of what's going on in other people's heads. Mm -hmm. And then if you have that, it seems like that almost necessarily entails something like empathy, Mm -hmm. feelings for other feeling beings. Sure. I think uh, ultimately, though, it may just come down to come back to that whole space is big thing and that, uh, yeah, yeah yeah just, just yeah. the practical impos- improbability that 
anything is going to come knocking on our door. Right. It may just be that it's big enough and we're spread out far enough that we just don't have the opportunity to find each other. You know? uh, yeah, that would be my ultimate guess. So all this stuff about alien nature is probably not even relevant. Right. Because the the thing that I would fall back on is we're just not going to run into each other. Right. Not any, not within our lifetime, certainly. Mm-hmm. What what would be more likely is that we encounter a transmission right. from a faraway alien civilization in the form of you know radio signal, some kind of electromagnetic radiation. Now, if tomorrow a probe lands somewhere on Earth containing a VHS tape from some alien civilization, <laughs> we'll be sure to update the blog to to reflect that. But we feel fairly confident, yeah, that this is this is uh, going to be the state of affairs. So. We got to thank Brett for sending in that email. Yeah. Uh, this was a, a blast to talk about. <laughs> Joe and I had a nice long conversation in the uh, in the break room just when we were debating on whether we should tackle this one or not. And then we ultimately decided that we were having so much fun talking about it that the three of us had to do this. I mean, yeah. it was just it was too much fun to, to avoid. So uh, thank you very much, Brett, for sending that suggestion. And remember, if you have a suggestion... Whether it's a question about a previous episode, a suggestion for a future topic, uh, maybe you just want to pick our brains about something that you wonder, you know, how is that going to be in the future? Let us know. Send us an email. That address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Facebook, Google Plus or Twitter. At Google Plus and Twitter, we are fwthinking. And at Facebook, just search fwthinking. We'll pop right up. Leave us a message and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.